0: So today we're going to be talking about the most common mental health issues and how effective or not effective psilocybin will be for each one of those. Stand by. How are you? Welcome back, Dr. Dave. Microdose you. And I've got my good friend, Dr. Denise Morit with us today. She is a uh, doctor of psychology. She um, sees patients. She works at the university, teaches courses at the university, and she plus she adds plant medicine into her, um, into her practice, if you will. Um, there's, no, there's nobody that's, that I can think of that's more qualified than to have her on right now. So, Dr. Denise Morit. Moret. Dr. D's Moret. <laughs> I got the accent in the wrong place, maybe, but welcome. How are you today? Thank
1: you. I, I'm thank you for having me again, Dave. Really pleased to be here. And thank you for that introduction. Hope I can live up to that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's all true, right? I wouldn't say anything that's it not true, true here. So
1: yeah. No, you are telling we are truth truth tellers. Yes, it is true.
0: Yeah. Today today we're going to talk about um, the most common mental. Uh, health disorders or mental health issues, I should say. Either one's probably correct. And um, we're going to go over them each one at a time. And then we're also going to talk about how just how effective is microdosing psilocybin or using psilocybin in general? How effective is it towards um, helping or treating um, all of these disorders? So um, Dr. Denise, if it's okay, uh, we'll start. I think the first one, um, let's start with the one that Everybody thinks of as maybe the most common um, mental health issue in the United States, if not the world. And that is depression. So I'd like you to um, talk um, just talk a little bit about it. Everybody thinks of depression as, oh, somebody's just they're depressed. That means they're sad. That means they're sad all day, every day. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. So let's get into that. Describe as much as you can about depression, and then we'll get into talking about just how effective is microdosing psilocybin or psilocybin in general um for depression
1: great perfect those are such great questions um, and and i you know it it is more than being sad if we look at we'll take depression to start with as you're saying it's a continuum though it's not like i have depression or i don't it's where on the continuum do i fall we all feel sad sometimes profoundly so It's about how much of the time, am I functioning? Am I sleeping? Am I eating too much, not enough? Do I feel like I have no meaning or purpose in my life? I don't feel like I maybe even want to live anymore. And there's a physiology to this as well, which is why we might not sleep very much or sleep too much, just don't feel energy. And that's a physiological, that's not like I'm just not in the mood. It literally is a physical, physiological set that gets kind of set up within us, in our brain and in our body. Um, and so psilocybin is very effective at dealing with that because it targets exactly that.
0: I'm, I will tell you this though, Denise, like when I sometimes, and, and I appreciate you saying this a continuum because that's, it's so true. It's, it's not just black or white I'm depressed or I'm not depressed, because I can even share something with you um, when I I think the day that I realized I might, I might have some depression is when um, everything in my life was fine again there's it's not like it's not like my life was bad or falling apart but um, I remember one afternoon it was a beautiful afternoon here and my wife and I were just taking a, a walk. Um, into the downtown area here, which is literally maybe a 15-minute, 20-minute walk from our house. And it was a beautiful day. We were taking a walk. I was with my wife. And I just had this, this feeling that um I, I, it's really, and it's really hard to put into words, but this feeling was just something something isn't right. Um, I, I, it's, it's like I, I needed, I, I wanted to feel differently, although I couldn't, but I just, I knew I needed, I wanted and needed to feel differently. But and I, I, at that moment, I said, you know, this this is depression. There's something going on here that I am depressed. And it does not mean I'm feeling horrible or sad. I'm not, I wasn't sad about it. it just, I just didn't feel right. And if that's, I don't know if there's any better way I could describe it, Denise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that that sense of even if somebody's clearly... I don't feel like i really want to live like that extreme things just don't mean i i I don't enjoy anything anymore that's really clear you you were what you're describing is for all intents and purposes things were fine and yet you profoundly felt somehow things aren't right it wasn't based on your circumstances there was something else on some other level happening that left you with something being kind of out of sync out of alignment with your being and that is absolutely a perfect description of depression anxiety can be the same kind of thing something's not quite lining up and it's profound even if the circumstances don't explain it your circumstances were fine so something was off and there's a physiology to it there's a a brain function brain chemistry brain wiring there's a, a personality, um, emotional, cognitive parts to all of this on every level, and again, that's why psilocybin can address all of that because it really addresses all those levels.
0: Can you describe what would you say if somebody were to ask you? Let's say you had a a, a patient you were seeing, and they said, "Okay, well, I'm I'm interested in this for my depression, but but explain to me, like, how does it how does it actually fix me? And and is it, and is it going to be?" a permanent fix or is this something I have to take for the rest of my life? How would you, how would you um, answer that to, if a patient asks you something like that?
1: Yeah, those are great and very common questions. So the, the first thing um, is easy is the first part um, that I guess I can easily address is the idea that you have to take it forever. So this is not the case with psilocybin because it profoundly changes the, the operating system, the brain, um, circuitry, the body's physiology, you, once you sort of complete the work, the psilocybin's work and your own kind of in conjunction work, you do not have to continue to take the psilocybin. Unlike antidepressant medication, which once you stop taking it, you'll feel the depression right away, if it even worked in the first place, which we know that's a problem sometimes for people. If Somebody's on antidepressants and they feel great. That's perfect. A lot of people, that's not the case. They're taking it. They may be taking several antidepressants. Um, one's counteracting a side effect of another, and they're on, you know, all these drugs, and it's and they're still depressed. So um, the idea that psilocybin, you take it for some people, they'll f- find it immediately, feels better within the first dose, the first month. For some people, it may take months. It will work, it's just a matter of, you know, when. And once it starts to really affect, the person feels those changes. Somehow they feel like things are more right. They feel settled. They don't necessarily, they might not be able to identify like, oh, I took this drug, I feel it immediately, everything's great. Because it takes time for the physiology and the brain networks to do that work. Many people will say, do like a year of microdosing psilocybin and then stop because they feel like it's done. And then periodically, they may feel a little triggered by something a little off and they choose to do a a dose. I, I myself have experienced and I know other people that have experienced feeling like rattled by something after microdosing and things going much better and feeling the benefits of the microdosing. And then having like a very rattling experience and being like, and then it settles quicker as if they took a dose that day where they feel it's like, did I take a I do- I didn't take a dose today. Why am I suddenly feeling better? Because the, the body has rewired. So I no longer go this way into the anxiety, depression, what have you, something happens and the system goes, oh no, this is the way this goes now. And we settle in the face of say a stress or something that rattles us. It's fascinating as if you took a dose. Um, I,
0: and I, w- I will say, and I, I think you'll, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me, with me that um, everybody is different. And I think if we make a blanket statement that says like, um, if you take it and it takes care of your problem, you, you'll never have to take it again. Uh, I, I'll share just something personally with me. I mean, uh, after after a year and a half of microdosing, um, I pretty much thought I was I was done. I was fixed, and and that was great, and I felt really good. So I, I did stop taking it, but then I, after about a month or so, I felt that I need to take. Um, I felt so I felt a little. And we'll talk about anxiety. It'll be the next one. But I felt a little bit of anxiety creeping in. So um, I I took some you know uh, more microdoses, and it absolutely very quickly uh, took care of everything. But I but I still think that there are times that I need to uh, continue it. Because you know something, it just it just works, and it's practically practically a guarantee that it's it's going to help. And yes. uh, and Denise, I know you you said something about uh, it will work, it will work whether it works almost right away or whether it takes several months, it will work. And I, I want to make sure that everybody listens to you there because I have. A lot of people that uh, either contact me through you know our Facebook group, by the way, it's called microdose you. Um, we'll put we'll make sure we put a link to that because you, you got to join us if you're not there yet. Um, a lot of people ask me how long will it take because they're number one, they're feeling so horrible every day and they want something to work quickly rather than very slowly. and, and some people I feel really bad because they start microdosing and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work right away, and, and I try to be real positive and approach it. I, I say to them, "This is going to work. It will work. You just have to, some people, or it works faster or slower. So, but but please don't stop because it will work." So, would you would you agree with that thinking?
1: Absolutely, I would definitely agree with that. And it is really hard. And um, you're bringing up a, a good point. It's almost like we need to change our mindset like what psilocybin does to to the body and the brain and rewires. It's like our mindset and how we approach things in our society also needs to be a little bit rewired. We're accustomed in our mainstream medical world to you take a pill, if it's going to work, maybe you need a week or two, but you, you should know, and it's not working, it's not working. So even though we have maybe that knowledge, it is a very important point that you're making that really, um, just has to be sort of clearly cemented because we are under that impression. If I don't feel anything right away, it must not be working. And then people will do things like double or triple their dose, or they'll just abandon all hope that it's going to work and stop. And so it is a really key point to, I always say to people, consist, stay at the same, whatever you're doing, do it for a month. Let's see where you're at in a month or two. Um, And even if it doesn't feel, as long as People aren't, um, you know, having any negative experience. Which, other than an occasional headache or feeling a little nauseous, depending on people not hydrating or how they eat, there's n- no bad thing that comes of taking it. Um, I, I just say, just you know, it takes a while for that to be working, so give it some time. Um, and yet, in in pharmaceuticals, people will sort of take things for a very long time, just because that's our mindset. The doctor prescribed it and that's my mindset and I'm gonna take it. Even though it's a chemical, even though there's side effects, well, maybe it'll work. I've been on antidepressants that are making me so sick and it's not really working, but I'm gonna give it another year and see how we how we do. So um, the, that's the great thing about psilocybin. You're not gonna feel terrible. The worst thing is you won't feel anything right away, but in time you absolutely Will so I always recommend people have people they can talk to and check in with. Um, There's also lots of things that we can do to help. It's not just like you you and I have spoken before and Trip Maxwell does a lot of work with this where, you know, you don't just take it and go about, you know, and not do anything else. You really want to do also the work on yourself and work with the psilocybin so that you're really um, supporting yourself in all the other ways um, to overcome that struggle. And because it rewires, because it sets up a different operating system, um, it really does heal and resolve things. And so you won't ever go back to where you were, but you may need, as you mentioned, maintenance doses or things are always evolving and changing. And so you may decide, well, you know, I'm going to do another month of microdosing because I feel like I need that because we're we're always experiencing and and evolving. So I would never say once you're done, you never have to take it again. That's not, I would never say that. That's just not true. Um, And so somebody may like really heal and then not have to do it the rest of their lives in that exact way. It's not, um, oftentimes people will be told you have to be on antidepressant medication or anti-anxiety medication for the rest of your life um, that's not the case with psilocybin.
0: Right, with psilocybin, it's not the case. And by the way, perfect segue there, doctor. Um, because I, the, the, my next question was going to be something that you actually just started to touch on, but I want to go just a little bit deeper if we can. So let's say you have a patient or a client and you're, you're trying to help them with through, um, a, a dep- depression or use this since we're on depression right now, by the way, uh, anybody listening or, um, watching we're not going to spend as much time on each of the subsequent uh, mental health issues because we're covering a lot of the foundation on the first one so we'll just go through them but we don't have to spend this much time obviously every repeating the same thing for every one because you'll as you'll find a lot of this is going to be uh, the, the treatment actually is going to be very similar for each one. But, um, so Denise, what I wanted to ask you was, let's say you have a, um, a, a patient you're speaking with and, and they're depressed and you you both agree that they're going to try this plant medicine, psilocybin microdosing or whatever. Um, what do you normally, you know, you, we hear a lot about like, like shadow work or you've got to put the, you, people say you, you, you got to put the work into it. You got to, you got to do other stuff. So, um, What is the other stuff that you what 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 would you share with somebody that's just starting on this and and they're your patient and say, well, what what do you What do you recommend that they also do on a daily basis or on a a regular basis alongside of this?
1: Yeah, excellent question. Um, And some of the answer to that will depend. Like people will say, you know, you absolutely have to be doing internal work and meditating. So. Um, yeah, that's absolutely helpful. For some people that are depressed, meditation makes them worse, a certain kind of meditation. So when they say, well, you have to be meditating an hour a day, that may work for some people and not others. So that what's that inner work? That inner work is maybe the narrative that's going on for the person. Like I'm a terrible person. I, you know, I can't do anything right. I'm a failure, that kind of internal narrative. Um, meditation can be very helpful with that in a focused attention kind of meditation. I uh, would say like mindfulness, examining yourself. This is what I'm thinking, starting to learn. I'm not my feelings and I'm not my thoughts, which is psilocybin really helps with that. So if the, if, if we start to look at here's me and my thoughts and my emotions are part of me, but they don't have to consume me, the psilocybin supports that idea and then the person's looking at their narrative and i always talk about adding so if someone says i'm really depressed and i'm no good and i'm a failure i would never suggest that they not think that way i acknowledge that's their experience and then i want to add because that's this is also rewiring you know well what is what's that's not the complete story what else is there anything going well so there's a bit of that cognitive internal dialogue and process Um, looking at if people have, you know, I happen to be trained and long experience in my career with doing inner work and dream work. So symbolism and even waking dreams like, oh, I was just driving and I was thinking of this when I passed that cow in the field. That's very relevant. It's almost like a little bit of a um, map to the internal workings of person. And that can reveal a lot about how to focus where the energy can be in terms of that inner kind of work. Um, other, other things that I always look at because I'm a very biologically based person. Um, I'm a scientist at heart. Um, so I want to understand what someone's physiology is like because the psilocybin is going to support that. So are they consuming enough really good plant-based, you know, vegetables and, and, and fruits and, you know, um, just getting their nutrients and, and hydration, absolutely, especially if they're microdosing. And, and so a lot of times it's like looking at the physiology, looking at their internal dialogue, what they say to themselves. We have such unbelievable negative self-talk. It's incredible. And that really can affect our um, experience of ourselves and life. And then what 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 are people doing around them? And it's not, oh, just go get busy and get involved. but you know, do they appreciate something outside of that depression kind of bubble? Because we're in, all in our own little bubbles. So, you know, can they see the sort of green of the grass or the trees or what have you, go for a walk, That those kinds of things. And I don't just say, oh, go do that and everything will be better. I really want to understand what's that person's experience like, and not just, oh, go get busy and do these three things or something, but, um, really looking at what does that all mean for the person? How is that and where I I should say I'm always looking too for what's what's the root cause? How did someone get depressed? You know, there could be physiology. More more than likely there's been some negative experiences along the way in their life. And so we can start to heal those experiences. I I I love to do that like go go to that past time, even if it was yesterday or 40 years ago. And and let's get that person, that part of you, and work with that, you know, and, and bring that person here and say, look, see, you survived all that, and we're working on this. And that's every time you have a symptom, that's your body and your brain and your inner psyche's way of saying, that's exactly what we're trying to change. So go, thank you very much. That's information, and that's what I'm working on. So it's it's a little, it's all of that.
0: I'm I'm smiling here because um, when you mentioned some of those things i'm, I'm I was thinking you could have a field day with me if we went back and talked about some of the things that happened in my life that, that, that got me to where I am you would you would absolutely have a field day it would be it would be it would be a fun time, I think. but mm-hmm. um I wanted to also share with you if it's okay um what, Trip, you mentioned Trip's name a little while ago. Mm. Trip Maxwell. And by the way, anybody that's listening to this or watching, if you're not familiar with Trip Maxwell, he's a great guy. Um, He's got a channel called Chop Wood, Carry Water, Practical Spirituality. He's on. uh, I know he's on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, and probably a couple other places. But if you catch him on one of those, you you will find him. So, Trip, um, Denise, Trip um, shared something with me several months ago. I'll share what it is first and I'll tell you how long I did it. He, he claims that if you do this little exercise every single morning, um, after a week or so, you'll start to feel different and better. After 30 days, you will feel like a totally, like a totally different person in a good way, in a positive way. So it's, it's very simple. He says, when you wake up in the morning, first thing you do, well, you can, I think you can do these in either order. It doesn't really matter, but, um, Either watch or listen to something very funny for several several minutes. I, I would do five minutes, and I would like watch uh, like an old episode of All in the Family or The Three Stooges or, or anything a, a comic, anything funny for about um, several minutes. And and he said when you do that in the morning, and, and Denise, you probably know this better than I do, but it's a certain time with your 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 um, brain waves or a certain way, and they they will um, it'll be more effective in the morning. Yes. Yeah. And, yep. and then, okay. So also, um, and then the other thing that I was doing was a um, a very simple mantra. I guess you can call it a mantra. I would say, uh, or I would write it down. That's powerful. Or I would say out loud. It's a good day. It's a beautiful day. It's a positive day. I am positive, and I will stay positive. I am centered, and I will stay centered. And I have a shield around me, protecting me from negative and bad. Now okay. it's very short, very simple. I said that just from memory because it's, that's how easy it is. I don't have to read it or anything. And I, I did that along with the um, listening to something, listening or watching something funny every single morning for thirty days, Denise. And I will tell you something. Trip was right. It it, it somehow rewires something alongside of using the psilocybin he he said he claims you can even do this without even um Mm -hmm. without even using the plant medicine and it will be extremely effective and it it really was now after a period of time uh and and i'll I'll tell you what what, i'll tell you something else that very interesting that happened to me once i started doing this um the weird craziness the things that happened in everybody's lives like um a driver cuts you off or somebody in your family, um, is dramatic and gives you a hard time about something. Those things just, it's funny. Those things just stopped happening. And so I, I you know, I, I always said that I have a protective shield around me protecting me from negative and bad. And another one of those exercises is if something weird happens, like something bad, like, like somebody gives somebody in your family gives you a hard time. Somebody goes crazy on you. Somebody cuts you off. Um, or you start thinking bad things, bad bad patterns, bad things. Um, All you do is simply change the channel and you start thinking about some of the most wonderful times of your life. Just put yourself back in that situation. So if something, if you're thinking something bad, something bad happens, you start thinking about like, okay, I can, um, I'll just think of one, like for example, it's just crazy example. But um, when my son and I used to go to football games together on Sunday, NFL games together on Sunday, we just had a wonderful time. And so if you think, I think about that, it like changes the channel totally and you forget about the other things. So that little mental exercise is what Trip taught me and it it, it absolutely changed the way I feel every single day along with microdosing.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. And um, I too had, before I microdosed, similar practices and I still do. And there's reasons that stuff works and the, the psilocybin works right alongside that. And it is good to do both. The uh, I was in very difficult trauma. It was very hard for me to say I'm positive, I'm gonna have a positive day because a part of me was going, you know it's it's not so positive so what i started to do my little mantra was um i have i'm gonna find my way even if i don't know how even if i don't believe it i'm, I'm gonna as long as i'm breathing i'm going to keep finding my way and part of me didn't believe that um but it helped it absolutely sends that message to our bodies that you're going to find your way and the comedy is great, it releases all those helpful, you know, good endorphins, Mm -hmm. and the power of image, what we are looking at, what we're listening to, what we're experiencing, a part of us, it's as if it's really happening, so when you're thinking about going to football games with your son, part of you is actually there, and you feel that, and that's rewiring, and helping with whatever's, you know, just a proactive way of starting your day, or like me a few years ago going through a very difficult time it really did give me an anchor it didn't make everything magically better but i stayed healthy which was great and that was before i microdosed so it really does have an unbelievably um powerful effect and they do say that any if you want to change do something for 30 days well they say 21 days so 30 is fine um and and it really will rewire things i wanted to learn how to calm down in the face of stress because i had a lot of anxiety that was in my childhood but then certainly as an adult and especially a few years ago going through some pretty big life and death challenges with my son's health he's fine now um and i wanted to teach myself how to calm down in the face of stress because i was like you know resonating up here and it was not good and so i practiced it i practiced it for 21 days just calm down in the face of stress, like everything's going to be okay. And that rewires things. So the psilocybin works with all of that. It's just such a perfect combination, which relates to anxiety diagnosis and any other mental health issues, because that's the basis, even though we could look at all mental health diagnoses and say like, under what's underlying them? You know, is, is there a genetic component? Is there some sort of trauma? Is there know what's going on but there's a dysregulation of something and the psilocybin will help regulate so we can manage better um even in the personality disorder arena um where people are profoundly just like have a lot of difficulty just functioning character their character is an issue it, even though it's been said that psychedelics can't address that, that's actually not the case. There's some research that's documenting that. I mean, I know it takes 20 years for the research to document what we already know, um, but it lays down a different imprint that says, you know, it's really okay if people come in and go out in, in and out of your life. So you can manage that, it lays down a different imprint.
0: We ha- we all and, and again trip uh, trip taught me this. Um, I I only knew it to a very very small extent before before he really taught me more. But um, we all we as you know as being a psychologist we, we all we all have this we all have this inner voice, and it's talking to us basically twenty four seven. And it's oh. in most cases in most cases we I've found at least it, it's it's telling us stuff that's not necessarily good. It's trying to trip us up. It's trying to just mess our lives up. And uh, most of us always have listened to this inner voice, which is also, I guess, called the ego. Most mm-hmm. of us have, I've I've always listened to it through my whole life. But when Trip taught me, this voice is not your friend necessarily. It's trying to mess with you. It's trying to trip you up. It's trying to get you to do crazy things. Don't listen to it. And the moment, and these exercises help with that. And the moment I realized that and learned that, I don't have to pay attention to this inner voice. It's not helping me. It's uh, sometimes sometimes the inner voice, I, I back up because sometimes the inner voice will help you. If I'm backpacking and I'm at a, a cliff, my inner voice will tell me not to go, not to walk too close to the cliff. So in, in some, some ways it's good. but in many ways, it's not good. So but when I learned to um, not necessarily listen to this inner voice, it's not it's not necessarily doing me favors a lot of the time. That's when, uh, kind of, uh, I, I flipped that switch and, and went to the other side of the mirror. Thanks, Trip, for those for those terms. But um, yeah. that's when you start feeling totally different.
1: Yeah, the the choice how you listen to that ego is what you're. I think you're referencing, and it's nice to have that choice. Is the ego is? I always say to people, it's like a five year old. And it it will tell you to jump away from the edge of a cliff, and that's great. And when in times of surviving cavemen, you know times, you know you needed that constant. Everything was life or death. Very little of that is that way now. But the ego doesn't understand that. And so we don't, We we realize through this work, we reset the way trip discusses, and you know the way psilocybin works so well. We reset and correct that, you know, like that ego will be there. We can listen to it when we need to, but it's like five. And we don't want a five-year-old driving the vehicle. You're driving the vehicle. Five-year-old isn't licensed yet. You as an adult are driving the vehicle. So it gives you choice to not believe everything your ego says. And um, that creates a whole rewiring in and of itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you're, let's say, for example, um, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, get up, get out of bed, look at ourselves, you know, we're not dressed. And the ego and, and, and you're not happy with what you see in front of you well you know that's the ego telling you that you're not good enough you're too fat your stomach's too big you're you know your breasts are too small you know it's the ego and when we the moment we stop listening to that and say to ourselves hey i'm a, I'm a human being I, I might not be perfect but i'm i'm pretty darn good and i feel good about myself it's it's a totally different it's scenario
1: yeah totally that's your message you know that's the that research that says if you yell at a plant and treat it terribly, it withers away. yeah but if you talk nicely to the plant and that's been replicated I'm not familiar with enough about it, but um that's that concept you know, so talk nicely to yourself so your cells are healthy and and because you live with yourself, and that's true that that narrative is twenty four seven even when you're asleep, there's a narrative
0: yeah. So Denise, let's um, let's use this at a time to um, I think we've said everything we we could about um, depression, our first our first topic, and also talking a lot about uh, not only the plant medicine, how effective it is for depression, how it works basically on your brain, and also the the um the work you have to put in alongside of it. So I think we've covered quite a bit there, and I think this can really act as a foundation for the rest of this because we can go through some other um, uh, uh, mental health issues, uh, but we don't have to get nearly in depth, but I'd like to just to cover them because I think a lot of people that are either listening to this or watching it today uh, might have one or more of these and they want to know, they want to be reassured, you know, um, do I really have this? And 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 is the is the microdosing of the psilocybin really going to help me? So the next one you've already talked about it a little bit. Let's let's talk about anxiety because again I think it's one of the two one of the three one of the three biggies. We'll talk about the third next. Um, a lot of people have it, myself included. Uh, I don't feel anxious now at all, but I, I certainly before I was microdosing I had horrible, horrible bouts of anxiety. So just uh, if you want to just cover a little bit about that and tell people what to look out for, what it is, and then reassure them that the psilocybin can can help them.
1: So the psilocybin is great for anxiety in the sense of really settling, just like an inner groundedness and settling. It opens us up to kind of our being before whatever we were taught, learned, conditioned to that created the anxiety in the first place. Anxiety is like a, a energy resonating and it could be something has to leave our body, our being that like we have to let go of something or we have to sort of like let it get absorbed. Like we maybe we haven't processed something, you know emotionally like a trauma that has happened can be kind of behind some of the anxiety. Um, it, and our world is sort of fast paced Our attention span is short. Everything's like, you gotta do, you gotta do or and be otherwise you're nothing. And so it's very anxiety based actually. And so we have that all around us and it's that ego again saying you're nothing if, and the survival instinct, very little of our lives are actually about life and death all day long. And yet everything feels like that. The ego perceives rejection as death. And so it's all like, what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't work out? It's very infrequent. I mean, there are some of us that live in that sort of life and death, but very infrequently is it, well, my life is over. And I'll, I'll take people through that, you know, with a little bit of like, well, you know, what if my hair doesn't come out right? Or what if, you know, I, I really do have a fat stomach? What if I don't look good? What if I don't get that job? Or what if I get divorced? You know, that it, it's, I like guess, if the world, my life is over. And I'm not denying how profoundly awful some of these things can be, but your life is not over. It's not life or death. And yet it is, and so that raises anxiety. So having the practice, have the psilocybin literally rewiring, opening us up to um, more of that initial state, that initial operating system or imprint that says, you're fine. We're born hardwired to deal with stress. And then somehow we start to doubt that and we don't trust ourselves and we don't work with our ego. We work against it in a certain sense Um, And that just kind of, it's a dysregulation again. So we want to correct that wiring and that will often settle, even though circumstances may not have changed. It's how we respond to the circumstances that can change and that will reduce anxiety.
0: And I'm guessing maybe somewhat like depression, anxiety is also on a continuum because I'm I'm imagining, and again, I'm not, I'm not trained in this like you are, but I'm just imagining there's some people that experience a little bit of anxiety here and there, maybe they'll feel their, you know, heart beating a little bit more and they're just maybe a little bit on edge. Whereas the, probably the other extreme of that continuum would be um, panic attacks and anxiety attacks and like the the worst of the worst. So I'm, I'm guessing that's probably the case, right?
1: Absolutely the continuum and it's how long it lasts. So, you know, am I up here all the time? Am I having panic attacks? am I in a state of anxiety and I'm not even worried about anything those are there's I mean there's so many different diagnostic categories and what would kind of create like a generalized anxiety versus I'm so stressed out about all these things and I can't settle based on circumstances and then there's kind of like a chronic anxiety where because someone's been through some um, segment of time where they were up here worried about something like what I went through with my son um, that it was very hard for me to settle, and then I ended up having like a chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue, which meant I couldn't handle any stress and anxiety because I just didn't have adrenal function. So you know that my body needed to recover and rewire and regain that and be back online. So the the psilocybin helped a lot with that.
0: Let's let's move into if it's okay, Denise. Let's move into yeah. um, PTSD. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder. I, I'd like you. There, there are a lot of different um, uh, definitions of this. I guess. I guess you would say. I've heard. I've heard from different people swearing to me that no, it's not this unless you did this unless. So I, I want to hear from you. Explain PTSD as best as you can.
1: Great question. So you will hear a lot of variation. We could do an hour on each one of these categories we're talking about, but in general. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder means some event or some uh, sense of an event. It doesn't even have to be a real event. You could just like be like worried something's going to happen and that can be traumatizing. Um, So some sort of event or series of events that you can't seem to settle from and you continue to have um, maybe some ruminating and you avoid these are like the classic definitions. You avoid the section on the road where you got into a car accident. You're, you're constantly worried about getting into another car accident. You can't sleep. Your anxiety's off the chart. Uh, you might have no anxiety. You might have like, you might be numb. That's another, like a lack of anxiety, um, depression, um, that basically, and, and that obsession and avoidance and an inability to kind of, like you feel like you get stuck in that. So that would be sort of trauma. There's, again, there's sort of little traumas, there's big traumas, it's the person's experience of it. And then there's complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is for people who um, really have suffered major traumas throughout their life and haven't gotten any help along the way, and so that's the complex PTSD.
0: And I, and I guess um, if you if we want to simplify it, I'm I'm just the type of person my personality is. I always like to make things really simple. I mean, just the name itself, what it's called, post-traumatic stress disorder, which tells me as a layperson. Well, I'm I'm a doctor, but I'm, but I'm a retired dentist. I'm not a I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor of psychology. But so what it tells me, post-traumatic stress disorder means to me that you've had some type of trauma. Um, and now that was in the past, but uh, post-traumatic means you've got stress from that now. Um, so I get, the, I just got this two days ago. Somebody like yelled at me, yelled at me on one of my channels saying, you didn't have PTSD. You, there's no way because you were not in the military. So if you're not in the military, you could not have PTSD. It's just impossible. Denise, please help me with this one.
1: Yikes. So I, that person sounds like they probably have some residual trauma from being in the military and that they haven't resolved it, and they're angry and, and, and upset by what you're saying. So if a person feels they have experienced a trauma, they've experienced a trauma. No one can decide for somebody else what a trauma is. So if we feel traumatized by something, no, it's you really can't comment about somebody else's um experience and how it feels like i said if my perception is oh you know my hair didn't come out right that day and it's totally undoing me it could be it's not really a trauma but it could really stress me out and be like a, a setup sort of a particular wiring in my system so um and yes you're right it's the, the idea i mean the technical diagnosis you're supposed to have it's it's after an event or a series of events have occurred and it's supposed to be more than six months. Like, so you have a a stressful experience, you're supposed to be stressed and traumatized by it. So nobody would say that that was a PTSD syndrome at that point, if you want to be technical, that you're, it would be more like six months later is sort of the magic timeframe. If you're looking at technical, Um, you know, are you still re-experiencing, is it still sort of feeling like it's kind of got a hold of you? Um, and then you're avoiding things or having trouble sleeping or sleeping too much or not feeling anything, or then we would start to look at a PTSD diagnosis. And the psilocybin helps with that because what it, so we have our natural state or our operating system, what have you, and then a trauma overlays that. And now we become wired for the trauma. So now I'm looking for that next car accident. I had this horrible car accident experience, might, operating system has now been totally changed where I'm now in this car accident mentality, six months, a year, two years later, I can't drive down that road. The psilocybin helps rewire that and returns me to that initial operating system where now I'm kind of back to my natural state. And yeah, there's anxiety about that road still, but it's not going to derail me. It's not going to stop me from going down that road, taking that road. I'm not going to, have panic connected to it any longer.
0: What a great explanation. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Let's move into the next one. And these are not, those are the big three. Um, I I think you would agree with me that depression, anxiety, and PTSD, and you've told me this, that's why I got, that's where I got it from. But, um, they're, they're like probably the most commonly, uh, uh, diagnosed and treated mental health issues in the U S but there are a bunch more. And I want to just go through a list. We can do it pretty quickly, doctor. And, um, just just maybe the best thing you do is, is just explain briefly what each one is about and uh, reassure somebody that has that or has been diagnosed with that, uh, can the psilocybin will help. So the first one I've got on my list, and again, no no particular order at this point whatsoever. Um, I've got borderline personality written down, BPD, uh, commonly talked about, definition could be misused, but I'd like to, again, I'd like to love to hear from you just a brief explanation of that
1: yeah so with all the personality disorders there's a dysregulation there's some sort of inner probably usually when young a person is younger something didn't quite you know in their environment and in their genetics in their environment something didn't quite get you know set up correctly and so it creates any number of personality disorders so the first one you're mentioning borderline personality disorder what's characterologically consistent with that is a sense of a fear of abandonment inability to regulate emotions, you know, that's like very high, very low. Um, unlike, um, we'll talk about bipolar maybe, there's it, there's a lot of um, desperation around rejection, desperation around abandonment. Typically there's um, a lot of addiction issues that are connected because it's just so intolerable um, that, you know, People will self-medicate, not necessarily with psilocybin as they should, but they'll be like drinking too much or something to sort of numb themselves because there's such intense fear, like I'm going to die if this person leaves me. And um, so that's that sort of borderline personality disorder, very dysregulated.
0: Okay. Um, I think I think also you may have mentioned in a previous conversation that we may have had, uh, Dr. Moret, is that um, many people with that actually have or are experiencing borderline personality disorder do not really seek help. And I think, I'm not sure if this is the right reason, but you told me either they they just don't know there's something wrong or... or um, is, is it true that there are a lot of people walking around with BPD that just don't even know it or don't get help?
1: That is the case. Um, borderline personality disorder will sometimes show up because they've gotten themselves in, into some trouble. Um, with some of their behaviors, um, you know, they, they've either gotten legal trouble, or um, you know, their their impulses are hard to control. So sometimes they'll end up being mandated for treatment, or they're so upset and they want everybody else to do a better job that they go for help, trying to get help to, you know, how do I make this person do what I want them to do? Because that's the only way my life is going to get better. So, with personality disorders in general, the idea is. To truly know you have a personality disorder, you you generally don't think you have a personality disorder. So that's the issue with personality disorders It's why they don't show up because they don't think they have an issue. Clearly like a narcissistic personality disorder, they don't have any issues. That's by definition, a narcissistic personality disorder. I don't have any issues, it's everyone else. You know, all these 50 people around me are the ones with the problem. So oftentimes we don't think we have... Um, an issue. With borderline personality disorder, they will show up maybe because, oh, I can't stop drinking or I can't, you know, I got in trouble because I beat up, you know, somebody or I smashed someone's windows and now I'm mandated to come because their impulsive behavior is what got them into treatment. Sometimes they will be willing to look at the discomfort that they're in. So the fact that they're, they can't sleep, eat or breathe because they're worried someone's going to leave them may motivate them to try to look at themselves. It's a little, questionable if they'll actually do that work though.
0: So if it's difficult for them to understand or, or um, realize that they've got it, what's um, what would you say is a good way for um, a spouse, a significant other, a family member that spends a lot of time with this person? What's What would be like maybe a couple warning signs or, or signs for this person that's with the person with BPD to say, hey, I think my friend or my spouse or my family member might have this? What what should they look out for?
1: Um, If you, as a family member spouse of somebody that has BP, um, the borderline personality disorder, um, you may feel what that other person is feeling, except that you know it's not coming from you. So it's like you absorb feeling that and you want that person to change. So I know that doesn't sound very clear. The, you know, you're feeling like, I don't know, like I'm always walking on eggshells. I never know what kind of mood this person's in. Um, they they want me to be close and then they push me away. Um, they probably are using you know some extreme uh, you know drinking or recreational drugs to a point where it's not helpful. Um, and, and that they're blaming the other person. So if I'm being blamed, so I'm the spouse of the person that has some sort of borderline personality disorder, some sort of personality disorder, it's common for the spouse to to call for help and say, I don't, I'm just so depressed, I'm so anxious, I can't deal with my spouse. So you end up feeling like you're the one with the problem. And the person that's acting out their issues is not thinking that they have a problem. And if you say, look, I'm concerned about the fact that you went next door and smashed the windows of our neighbor, Oh, it's fine. Why do you worry about me? That might be some of what you might see.
0: That's that's beautiful. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, and and it sounds to me like uh, the term of the of the of the decade. Uh, I never I never knew this term twenty years ago, but it sounds like uh, gaslighting. Gaslighting. Yeah. It, it sounds like that is like a something that a um, somebody with BPD would probably be doing.
1: Yes, it's very common. Unfortunately, in our society, it's very common that's another conversation. It's very common with personality disorders. Um, borderline personality disorder, absolutely, absolutely narcissistic personality disorder. You know, narcissistic personality disorder, that person is finds it very hard to admit that they are at fault about anything. They need constant reassurance that they're the best. They think they're the best, they're perfect and yet really what's underlying that is a total inability to see how imperfect and human we really are and so that person is very much whether it's a conscious or an unconscious manipulation they're all about manipulating everybody else to think you guys are all the problem not me so very much a a, a dynamic in a personality disorder particularly with borderline and narcissism
0: so when i was growing up i always thought that you know if somebody's a narcissist I didn't even know the term like narcissistic personality disorder, but you, you call somebody a narcissist or he's narcissistic or she is. Um, I always just thought that meant they think they're the greatest, but there's, there's so much more to it than, than just that. And you, you outline some of that. Is, is, there, is there anything more to how, how to figure out if you're, again, if you're a if lover, your spouse, your family member, how, how do you figure out if they're, if they're narcissistic?
1: Um, again, the continuum comes in, you know, we're all narcissistic to a degree, it's where on the continuum, right? So the inability to look at yourself at all, as possibly having some ability to make things go better. No, it's all that person. It's all you. It's not me. It's never me um, is, is clearly on the problematic end where we'd start to say this person, it has a narcissistic personality disorder. And it gets more complicated. You can be like a, a conscious you know, the, the gaslighting term comes from that book in that movie where the person was deliberately with awareness knew what they were doing, which is kind of more problematic than an unconscious narcissist. An unconscious is like, I'm terrified. I'm completely terrified of being uh, imperfect. It's, I was so maybe punished for being, you know, not perfect as a kid or what have you. So I can't consciously look at myself. That's more unconscious narcissism. Um, and, and that's actually easier to work with, um, because really they're afraid underneath it and, 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 they're not aware of it. So once you open that up, they can kind of begin to look at that. But again, there's that continuum. So, and then there's the malignant narcissist who is like, you know, just wants to control the whole world. will never be able to see anything. And it has no sense of their narcissism at all. Um, and it's just, Profound. It, it's much bigger than just their lives. They're going to control the whole world. The whole world is wrong. You know, they're right, and it's just profound.
0: Okay. So BPD, Norse, Norse, uh, narcissistic personality disorder. What, what are some of the other? How, how many personality disorders are there actually? I think they're just a handful, right? right?
1: There's a long, long but, list of them. Oh, there's actually, a long
0: yeah. list. Oh wow! Okay, um, there's uh,
1: antisocial. I, I, antisocial personality is another common okay. one. talk about that one. Sure. You know, so that one's very difficult. The antisocial personalities will um, either refrain from connection or see everybody again. Everybody else is kind of the problem. They're going to challenge everything. I don't have to follow the rules. Literally, not against society. Um, I mean, against society, seeing things, the norms that we not that we all agree, but um, very avoidant and. Um, you know, unlike a psychopath who's going to, a psychopathic person is maybe someone who believes it's okay to go out and just do all kinds of horrible, you know, murder people, et cetera, uh, that can be a sociopath, an antisocial person, and a psychopath all wrapped in one. But antisocial personality disorder really has a hard time connecting genuinely, actually, um, and just sort of a little bit of beat to their, march to the beat of their own drum there in a problematic way. Okay, But there are, uh, there's a long list of personality disorders actually it gets, yeah, it gets really in there. And yet they all show that common, you know, the imprint in their being very early, usually in life, somehow wasn't correct. And, and now there's just dysregulation and fear and simple things may not be as simple for them. Like a, having a conversation, not that that's always so simple for people, but, you know, just being able to make a phone call or... Look at yourself and go, yeah, maybe there's some slight piece of this that I can look at within myself that would help the situation. So there's profound character structure issues. Okay.
0: So is, is it safe to say that we've covered, uh, I mean, you, we could go on all day and probably do another episode on, on all the personality disorders. I didn't even realize there yeah. were so many. Is, is it safe to say that we've covered the, the major ones that we, that we need to cover? Is there any one, any yeah. other one that sticks out in your mind that we, we got to cover this one?
1: Um, I, I mean, I think about like substance and addiction issues and the addictive personality, those aren't necessarily the same thing, but, you know, they'll say in the addiction substance um, industry, they'll talk about addictive personality. Do you have an addictive personality? Can you walk away from, you know, a pile of potato chips if you can have one versus you have to eat the whole thing? And, you know, that constant seeking of um, pleasure and, you know, sort of numbing out through through addiction. Um, you know that okay. so, uh, yeah, and that leads to the sort of all well, that whole, you know, addiction, substance abuse, even eating disorders, which are not necessarily an addiction, but you know, dysregulated eating and brain signals, all of these areas are um, all you know part of mental health issues. That can be I mean there I, I would have to say it maybe a little bit of a broad statement, but there isn't really too much that psilocybin wouldn't help with. Even, and I must say, the psychotic, really um, extreme psychotic individuals who are having a hard time processing—they're not in reality, real severe hallucinations. So, all the studies now that are happening in psychedelics, those study you get ruled out of those studies if you have a history of any psychosis in your family. It doesn't even have to be you. And in reality, what we're finding is that psilocybin actually helps treat those issues. And there's starting to be studies that are showing that. So. Um, I would even say that it would help um, somebody because it's going to correct, you know, faulty brain wiring.
0: And I want to throw this one in. I don't know exactly where it fits, but I have a feeling it fits somewhere in between uh, anxiety and antisocial personality disorder. And that's um, social anxiety. Um, And the reason I want to bring that up is because I have talked to at least uh more than more than a dozen people in the past few months more than a dozen way more than a dozen that have described perfectly uh, like a social anxiety so where does that fit in I, I, I know for sure psilocybin does help with that because some of the people i've spoken to have actually worked with psilocybin it's, it's helped them a lot but where does that fit into this to the spectrum so a, a, a social anxiety uh itself
1: yeah so social anxiety is a type of anxiety as opposed to a personality disorder um, not that you were mixing those two. So anxiety, as you've experienced, most of us experience some level of social anxiety. It's just, again, where on the continuum it is. Like is someone like terrified to leave their house and go out and be around people? Um, can you know, can you get up and stand up in front of a group of people? We all have anxiety about public speaking to some degree that's normal. So, um, it's a type of anxiety, And it absolutely, like you said, it's it's very common. Um, there is a little bit more of it right now. People became a little more socially anxious over the pandemic because we were um, not used to it. We were just out of practice. So some of the social anxiety has increased and um, people are using psilocybin to help with that and noticing dramatic improvement as a result.
0: Really, really interesting. Um, let's move on to um, bipolar. I don't. Th- I think we might have mentioned it for a second, I but I'm, just talk, talk a little bit about uh, bipolar. Is it called bipolar disorder? What would it, what would it, what's the official term?
1: Um, yeah, well, yeah, you know, bipolar, the, all those words, um, as you know, I've said in other conversations, you know, those words could be another whole podcast, what that actually means. So somebody's having an issue, right, whether you call it a disorder, it, in the in the diagnostic manuals and the ICD nine codes, you know, it gets called a disorder, you have to be diagnosed with something to get treated and, and use your insurance. So we'll call it a disorder, mental health issue, a way of being where on the continuum I am, we're all a little bipolar, right? Like, and, and I say that like in a healthy way, right? Like we can have like an extreme high and extreme low. It's, is that my way of functioning continually? Am I having such extreme highs and extreme lows that it, like I'm, I'm not sleeping for five days um, that I believe that I can construct a whole business in a in a building in a day. If I just get out there with my hammer and nails it's not reality-based, it's pretty extreme. Um, Bipolar disorder is um, overdiagnosed, I would say, if you if I go into a doctor's office and I say, oh, man, I'm depressed half the day, and then I'm like, I have all this energy, I'm probably going to walk out with a bipolar diagnosis, even though I may not truly be um, bipolar. So it's, it's really supposed to be like that cyclical nature pretty extreme, um, sometimes impulsive impulsivity. and, and, and a little different, like with, the, I, I had mentioned when we were talking about borderline personality, you know, that there's that intense, you're going to leave me kind of thing going on. Um, with bipolar, you don't see that as much. It's more like a profound mood disorder as opposed to a personality structure.
0: Gotcha. you. makes, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's move on to, I'm going to put these two together, even though I'm not insinuating they are the same or it should be grouped together, but I'm just, I just, for some reason, I feel like putting these two together. We could just we could uh, knock them off in one one little segment. Uh, OCD and um, ADHD.
1: Yeah, um, they often go hand in hand. Actually, hmm. so you know, a lot of attention issues. So ADHD can be focus of attention or a hyperactivity. So those diagnostic categories have kind of shifted in what they mean. And yes, there's definitely those issues. It's not a made up kind of a thing. So I might have trouble focusing on something. Psilocybin will help, absolutely helps people with focus. And so that's why it's so appropriate in in treating attention issues. Um, That sort of hyperactivity, it also helps with that. Now that's more of that, um, I can't settle. Again, it's a dysregulation in the physiology of the being, as well as sometimes it's hard to sit on one, settle on one thing my attention isn't good and I'm also maybe anxious. So it's, we talk about these categories of it as if like I have this, I have this, I have this. When in reality, we usually have a little smattering of lots of things and it can get, often people will be diagnosed. Oh, if you go to this doctor, you get this diagnosis. If you go to this doctor, you get this diagnosis and it can really be like kind of a range. The um, OCD, so, you know, that's an intense way of trying to control for the emotional dysregulation. So if I'm obsessively thinking about something, and then I'm compulsively doing things to try to control that. So I'm obsessively worried that, you know, I, my house is going to burn down. So I keep going back into my house and checking, did I shut everything off? I have to, even though I just was in there five seconds ago, I have to go back and check everything again. And that's a profound, Lack of an inner course, sort of strength of of an inner being um, where we're constantly questioning everything. And then we feel we can't, it's just that one germ that still might kill me. I gotta wash my hands again. And it's not rational. And you can't talk somebody out of that. Again, you have to lay down a better imprint to correct that. And psilocybin absolutely helps with that. It's settling, it opens up thinking patterns. And then we're not so controlled by this. These are things that are happening to me outside of me. I have some choice that doesn't describe my entire being. Now we can go somewhere.
0: I, I'm smiling and let chuckling a little bit as not, not to make, not to belittle or make fun of these, these issues. But um, as you're talking about these, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is me, like, like, for example. Um, ADHD. I, I know I've, I've never been diagnosed, but I, I've diagnosed myself. I know I've got, again, it's a continuum, but I've got some form of ADHD, either whether it was not being able to pay attention in American history class or world history class in high school. I, I totally remember. I just, I just, I was, I couldn't focus on anything. And so that's one thing. And, um, also, and even to this day, to this day, I know, uh, if I'm in a, uh, A restaurant or someplace and and somebody next to me is talking, uh, sometimes I just, I focus, I could, I have to focus in on their conversation. I just can't pay attention to, um, it's, 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 sometimes it's horrible, but other times it's, it's kind of a blessing because I think that's also something that's helped me be, um, very creative and, um, through, throughout my life. So I'm not upset that I have it, but I'm sure I have it. The OCD part, um, I don't think I have a problem with it, but I remember, uh, Denise, you're going to love this one, um, when I used to uh, travel a lot for speaking gigs, um, and I'd be driving myself to the airport, and of course, I'd have my my suitcase in the back, and my backpack, and my, and my computer, um, I remember oftentimes, and this is horrible, but I'd have to stop on the interstate highway, pull over on the shoulder, or get off an exit, because I wanted to make absolutely sure I, I brought my luggage with me. And and this was not just one time. It it happened many times. I just had to I have to be sure because I think I might I there's a 1% chance I forgot my luggage or my computer and I wouldn't want that to happen. So it was oh, what a mess. What a mess I am yeah. or I was.
1: Yeah. 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 And and the the conversation about, I mean, we won't do it now, but the conversation about that would really be like, well, where did this start from? What's going on? What's the lack of trust in that? Or is it stress or is it sort of become like, almost like a superstitious kind of a thing because that one time I forgot the glasses and now I gotta go back and not, you know, was there like a little mini trauma about that? So um, it's designed to reduce anxiety. The problem is it doesn't really work because you stop, you pull over, you see, or you go back in the house, you check everything. And two seconds later, you're like, did I really, maybe I didn't quite see that piece of luggage the way I thought I saw it. Did I have that in there? Because there's always a way that our brain, we're so creative, our computer brains, there's a way we can create a problem and that uh, what if, and even like, I don't, I didn't see what I thought I saw. Did I really see that? Maybe I didn't really see that, you know, so that that's that, you know, perpetual brain stuck in an operating system that's just going to keep perpetuating itself. So that's where we need to like start to open up possibilities.
0: It all comes. comes, I I was going to say it all, it all comes back to the ego. I mean, that's, that's, that's where it started. I mean, that's, that's what's Mm -hmm. doing a lot of this. So, okay, Denise, um, before we leave, and um, I appreciate your time, we're, we're we're going way over, but I'm enjoying, and I think uh, more importantly, our listeners and viewers will be enjoying every, every second of this. This is, I think this is awesome information in every, this is just good for everybody to hear. Uh, Just the last thing I want to talk about, it's not truly a um, mental health issue per se, but like I said, um, everything's connected everywhere. But so I just want to talk a little bit about pain because so many people, again, it's one of the most common questions we get in our group or or somebody emailing me or messaging me, uh, is psilocybin going to help me with my pain? And Uh, I'll let you answer that.
1: Uh, Yes, would be my simple, succinct answer. Psilocybin is, (laughs) and people, I think we said this last time, you know, it's not just, oh, because the psilocybin helped me relax, now my pain is gone. There is that, but literally, psilocybin is an anti inflammatory. It has anti inflammatory properties. We know that when there's inflammation, whether it's in our joints in our connective tissue, in our muscle, in our digestive system, when you have inflammation, you're going to have problems one way or another. So if something decreases inflammation, things will get better on a simple level. So that is why pain gets better because it has that anti-inflammatory property. It also does sometimes help people relax. When we're relaxed, we might feel less pain because we know that there's a sort of tension pain relationship, but it's not just, I relax my pain away. It literally has anti-inflammatory properties and it's rewiring the arthritis in my back. Isn't the same anymore. I still have it, but it's not the pain level went from an eight or a nine on a 10 scale to like maybe a three and it's way less frequent. And that's the anti-inflammatory property of the plant.
0: That's uh exactly what I'm finding. And that's, that's what I've been telling people. So I think that's a um, great way to, to end this episode today. But the only problem is with this episode is as we're doing it, we've been going, I think longer than, yeah, longer than an hour now. It's great. Um, The problem is that it sparked a lot of, a lot more questions and topics that I want to go over with you and talk to you about. So um, if it's okay with you, um, I, there's just so many things I'm thinking about. I, I've been taking notes along the way because I think there's so many things that our listeners and viewers want to know about and are questioning. And so we've got all the answers. So I'll, all I can say to you guys is stay tuned because I'm going to bring Dr. Moret back and we're going to talk more about this because it, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And, and the, and the, the most exciting part of it is that we have something now, uh, in our armamentarium, uh, that's a word that I used to use in dentistry all the time armamentarium sounds sounds like you're in the military but but um, in in my toolbox um we've got this we've got this powerful this incredible plant medicine that is effective for everything we've talked about today so Dr. Moret any final words you want to talk about or um whatever we'll and then we'll and then we'll say goodbye anything anything else
1: I just want to thank you for doing this and having me and uh, all the questions I'm happy to come back happy that you, you know, ask those questions because without you doing this we wouldn't people wouldn't get this information and wouldn't have the help so um, it's good information trust it, stay informed. um, And I'm happy to come back and answer any questions.
0: On that note, I want to thank you so much for being here and we will definitely 100% Have you back, Dr. Moretz. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you.
1: You're welcome. And thank you.